Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we never take it for granted this opportunity to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, family, today is going to be pretty interesting. You know, what I'm going to do is I usually try to go back after I do a message and I listen to make sure I didn't miss anything or make sure that maybe there is something that God wants me to expand on. Today is truly something I'm going to go back and I'm going to take notes afterwards because we're going to do this together. During my time away, God put something on my heart and I just let it meditate. I meditated on it, let it marinate. And here's what he told me. He said, son, in your desire to hear me, I don't want you to put any of the ones you love in condemnation. And I, 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 I took that seriously. I said, what, what exactly do you mean? Well, remember, back in November, what I shared with you is on Christmas Day, since Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, that we were not going to be having service here at this campus on Christmas Day. Not having service on Christmas Day stirs up feelings and emotions and opinions from pastors, evangelists, ministers, mega churches, and the smallest church around. And in my desire to hear from God, God told me, don't put people in condemnation. He says, son, you have to explain where your heart is. Never leave them ignorant of where they're headed. Back in November, I shared with you that we were not going to have church on Christmas. And today, I'm going to share, you, share with you my heart as to why. Before we read our first scripture, let's do our Bible confession. Say this Bible confession with me. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, look at this first image. When people are talking to you about why you should have your tail in a church building on Christmas Day, 
more than likely they point you here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, King James, it starts, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Now, Christmas Day falls on Sunday on average seven times or once every seven years. Sometimes it's 11 years, sometimes it's five years, but on average, once every seven years. So keep in mind, we're not talking about nothing too major. Let's start right there. We don't got to be in conflict with brethren and sistering over one in seven years. But let's say that we are. Notice this. If I've never said this enough, let me say it again. You cannot take a word out of context because a word has meaning based on the sentence it's in. The sentence is given context by the paragraph it's in. The paragraph given context by the chapter is in. The chapter by the book, it has to be embodied in the work. You need context. I'm going to say directly what we're getting at, and then we're going to get there together. Not forsaking means to abandon or to leave. I'm not asking you to forsake anything. I'm not asking you to abandon anything. Assembling ourselves together, uh, as the manner of some is. Some who are abandoning the faith. That is not us. We're not abandoning the faith. On the contrary, I would say, at least for this footprint, we run towards the faith. I know what we've been through. I know what some of you've come through. I know what you've had to endure. I know how hard you stood for God. We're not abandoning the faith. But because there are people in your lives, close people, people that have taught you for years, people that you grew up in that church, somebody that's your grandma, your auntie, somebody's going to tell you, hey, you should not be forsaking the assembling of yourself together, getting you in condemnation, wrapping you in bondage. You can't even enjoy, enjoy Christmas because it's in the back of your mind that somehow you are going against the grain as far as God's concerned. It leaves you vulnerable to attack if I don't attack it back. So because I care, I'm going to share with you where my heart is, but we have to first pick this apart. I'm about to give you the quickest run through of Hebrews chapter 1 through 10 you probably ever had in your life. But it's always there for you to read slowly if you choose to. But what, what are we getting at here? What we're getting at is just because you do not attend church on Christmas Day it does not mean you are abandoning the faith. Now, I'm going to do something I rarely do. I'm going to give you the title of the message. 
Today we're talking about Christmas is about a person, not a place. Hebrews chapter one. Let's go. Hebrews chapter one starts off and says this. I'm going to be narrating mostly pointing through some of the bold words. This is the voice. The only time we'll be in the voice. Most of the time we're going to be in the message. It talks about that God took his son and his son now has been given dominion over all things. He is the one who sustains all that exists through his through the power of his word. In other words, Jesus is uncomparable. He is greater than any man, greater than any angel. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hebrews chapter two. Now, notice it starts off. This is the message Bible. Now, Hebrews chapter two, verses one through three, picking through. It's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. See, it's talking about people that are starting to trip a little bit. People that are starting to let things slip. People that were running the race fine, but now things are starting to trickle in. Here's what I want you to do. As far as this latest message of salvation, know that it was accurately passed down to us from people who heard it from the master. Verse nine. What we do see is Jesus. He fully experienced death in every person's place. So he died for you in your place. You and I. He took on flesh and blood to defeat the devil and free us. Yes. Hebrews chapter two. Keep going. Continue. 17 and 18. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. So he entered every detail. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sin, he would have already experienced it all for himself. Jesus experienced everything like you have. All your pain, the heartache, the stress. The frustration, the abandonment, the betrayal. He came from heaven and experienced it all so he would be able to give you the help that you needed when you needed help because he experienced it. He came and he became just like us to experience life like us, to be able to understand us so he could provide us with proper help and make accurate petitions as our high priest before God. That's the anchor of your faith. And there are people who are starting to let that slip. Hebrews 3. Now we're going to read this first one. My dear, first one through three. So my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights, take a good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. Faithful in everything God gave him to do. Moses was also faithful, but Jesus gets far more honor. This last sentence, read it with me, go. A builder is more valuable than a building any day. Jesus, the Christ, and what he stood for and what he died for, the word of God incarnate is more important than this brick and mortar building any day. 
any day. And it goes on to say that even though Moses, you know, he had this tent and did a whole bunch of stuff. As far as God is concerned, you are the building. So wherever your feet stand, there is the church. Just because you're not within the four walls of this place, not that it's not lovely, not that it's not beautiful, not that you shouldn't come. But if you don't, know that the one that made this building necessary or even worthwhile is more important than the building any day. Verse 12, so watch your step. Once again, they tripping. Watch your step. Make sure you don't let anything trip you up or throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. Keep our grip or keep your grip as far as you are concerned on the sure thing we started off with for chapter four. As far as God's goal for us, we need to be careful not to be disqualified. How do you get disqualified? Well, it talks about the people that received the original promise got disqualified because they didn't receive the promise with faith. Verse three, if we believe, though, we'll experience that state of resting, but not if we don't have faith. So pause right here. It's saying don't forsake chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. People that are falling into this scenario where they're slipping away from the faith. They're letting little things come and they're picking up. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even, without even thinking. They're letting little leaven get in and it's starting to cause them to be a little off course. They're talking about those people. Chapter five. Now. Here's where you really start seeing him where he's talking to him directly. I have a lot more. Chapter five, verse 11. I have a lot more to say about this, but it is hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. There, there's, there's, there are some things that you should be doing by now, but because you picked up some bad habits along the way, I fear that you might be letting the faith slip. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet I find you need some to sit down with you and go over the basics again, starting from square one, baby's milk. Go to the next chapter. Verse one. So come on, let's leave the preschool finger painting exercise on cross Christ. Grow up in Christ. Grow up. The basic fundamental truths are in place and it goes through some things and it gets to verse three. God helping us will stay true to all of that basic fundamental stuff, but there's still much more. 
but you're slipping on the basic stuff. Verse 17. God wanted to guarantee his promise, so he gave his word a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. The promise is likewise unchangeable. So what do you do? Grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Don't let your face slip. Remember what Jesus did for you, what you have the opportunity to have and grab it and don't let go. Chapter seven. If that first priesthood from Aaron and Levi could have made people perfect, you wouldn't have needed a new one. Verse 12, but since it didn't get the job done, there was a change in priesthood. That old priesthood couldn't get God's plan done. It couldn't do it. It was incomplete. So God did something new. Continuing with chapter seven. Next one. So God intervened and called this new permanent priesthood, priesthood into being. That's starting at verse 21. Who is that permanent priesthood? Verse 24. Jesus priesthood is permanent. Verse 26. So now we have a high priest who perfectly fits our needs. With authority extending as high as God's presence in heaven. Chapter eight. Once again, if the first plan had worked that old covenant, we wouldn't need a second one starting in verse seven. But we know the first one was wanting. So there is a new plan. Boom. But family, verse 10, this new plan I'm making with Israel, God is saying, is it going to be written on what? Not written on paper. It's going to be chiseled, not going to be chiseled in stone. I'm going to put them, I'm going to carve it on the lining of what? Their hearts. There is a faith that you have an opportunity to, uh, to, to grasp where God himself was going to reside on your heart, in your heart, in your body, reside on the inside of you. And you will get to know firsthand. Chapter nine. Verse one, that first plan contained directions for worship and a specially designed place of worship. It goes on and talks about Moses had the tents and the tents had the inner inner holy of holies and blase blase. And that was called a holy place. But verse nine, family. But when the Messiah arrived, when your new high priest arrived, he bypassed all that stuff. He bypassed it all, went straight to God. So now you have the opportunity to go boldly before the throne of grace. Chapter 10. I told you it was quick. As priests, verse 12, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins and that was it. Verse 14, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. 
keep in mind what Jesus did for you. First chapter 10, keep going. Now, as we approach verse 25, we go ahead and reiterate why verse 25 says not forsaking. The Message Bible, verse 23, let's keep a firm grip on the promises. Don't lose your grip. Verse 24, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Here is verse 25 in the Message Bible. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do. Which kind of people do? Them people that have walked away from the faith or that have been starting to slip from the faith, that have forgotten what Jesus has done for them. But as for those people, do your best to stir them up. Once again, in the King James, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, them some is, them un people that's going down the road of, of abandoning the faith. We're not forsaking anything. Keep going. If we give up, verse 26, if we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we know, we now know, verse 29, what do you think will happen if you turn on God's son, spit on the sacrifice that, that made you whole, and insult this most precious spirit? This is no light matter. The author is urging people to hang on to the faith. It's not about not going to church. You should go. But it's about there are a lot of stuff going on where people are starting to abandon the faith and he don't like it. Next one. Verse 32. Remember those early days after you first saw the light? Can we say that together? Say, say, first saw the light. Family, they were hard times. For many people, that's true today. It goes on to say, when you first saw the light, couldn't nothing turn you away from the faith. When you first saw the light, you kicked around in public, you abused friends in prison, people messing with you and all kind of stuff. And couldn't nothing move you. Remember those early days after you first saw the light. The end of 34. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. If you're familiar with the King James, it says this in verse 35, that same one. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. If you're just if, if you're if what you're doing is abandoning the faith, what's, what what are you doing that for? Don't cast away your confidence. It was a sure thing when you first believed. It is a sure thing now. 
Next one. You need, verse 36 in part, you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan. Verse 39, he leaves it on a positive note, but we're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no. We'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. So when we're saying forsake not the assembling of yourself together, I know I'm saying it over and over and over again. That is talking about people who are abandoning the faith. You not being in that seat on Sunday does not mean you abandon the faith. It does not. Hebrews goes on in chapter 11 and says, hey, listen, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then it goes through the, the by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, faith, Jacob and Moses. And it goes on and on and on. And then it goes to chapter 12 and it's talking about, hey, run, run, run your race. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It tells you he's the author and the finisher of our faith. It goes on and tells you that you're going to have some hard times, but guess what? God chastised who he loves, but he is not going to abandon you. It ends up in, in, in verse chapter 13. It says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the author is addressing people who, in the author's opinion, you're starting to let your faith slip. Loved ones, we are not letting our faith slip. So if anybody tries to get you to feel condemned or bad or in a bad way because what I am asking you to do, I believe I am doing what I'm supposed to do and asking you to spend Sunday with your loved ones, if you get that direction from anybody else, now you know that is not supposed to be used to beat you over the head with. Because you are not abandoning the faith. Next one. Now, what do I want you to do? Family, this is about the birth of Jesus. You've heard this read a thousand times. But in Luke, it says it this way. They had gone and made their way to Bethlehem because there was a decree of governmental decree to do some some census and some that kind of stuff. Verse six, Luke two, King James Version. And so it was. That while they were there, the days were accomplished that she, meaning Mary, should be delivered. And she brought forth, forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Jesus did not get born in the middle of a 10,000 congregation church. Or in the middle of a 10-person church. Jesus came into this world in a manger amongst his loved ones. Amongst his nuclear family. His mama and his daddy. 
because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were afraid. Next one. The angel said, guys, don't be scared. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now let's get close to what I want you to do here. It tell, they tell them you will find the, the child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, going down to verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing. Family, on Christmas, the day that represents Jesus. Here, the angels told men who were doing their normal duties, not inside of the building, that, hey, there is a man named Jesus. You are to be such angels. Because when you tell people about your Jesus, they will come and they will see. Notice. And it came to pass when they were gone, after they were told, let us now and go see this thing. The message you are to deliver is about why the day is special. And as you share that with people, they will eventually come and see. They may not come and see at your church, but it's not about filling your church. It's about filling the kingdom. But there's more. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying. Once you set others on fire for Christ. They will go abroad telling others about Christ. It's a chain reaction. So here's the picture. Somebody told somebody about Jesus. And the somebody that got told about Jesus wanted to go and see the thing. And once they saw the thing, Jesus, once they experienced it for themselves, Jesus, they went and told somebody else. Last image. So what am I asking you to do? What was the whole point of me saying some weeks ago that Christmas Day, I believe that what you are to do is spend that time with your family and loved ones. A few notable points. Family, Jesus was born in the, for the masses, but not with the masses. He was born for the crowd, 
but not among the crowd. I want you to take Christmas Day and make it a day where you take you and your loved ones and you make sure that they understand why the day is special. And don't stop there. Because people get it confused and think that Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday, but it's not. Thanksgiving is a secular holiday that Christians participate in. Your day of thanks as a Christian comes twice a year. Christmas and Easter. So for you as a Christian, Christmas, you should treat it like Thanksgiving. Reach out to those who are unfortunate. Share what you've been blessed with, with others. Pull them into the kingdom with your compassion. Let them know God through you. The greatest expression of what, what a believer believes happens outside of the church walls, not within them. I'm not asking you to forsake the faith on Christmas Day, but on the contrary, I'm asking you to do more soul winning than you've ever done before. While people are receptive, while there is talk about Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and the miraculous birth all around, pull them into the kingdom. Soul in and start in your house. Don't you dare. Let Christmas Day come by and be just another day. You wake up. If you have a family, you gather them and you let them know why that day is special. And then you express the love of God. Look your children in the eye individually and tell them how much you care. Tell them what Jesus has done for us. Let them know how you love them because he taught you how to love. Look your spouse in the eye for real. Don't let it be another day. Tell them how much you care. Let's sh share what Christmas is all about. Then go to those loved ones that you have been avoiding. Oh, let's work on Christmas. We're not putting our feet up. The greatest expression of what a believer believes happens outside of the church walls, family. Not within them. I don't want you to be in condemnation. 
I want you to develop what are your family's traditions on this day? Do you have a tradition? Our family has traditions. Things that bring us together. And guess what? Those things that bring you together at Christmas, believe it or not, they help sustain you throughout the year because of what you do together, because of what you share. <coughs> Family, I'll leave you with this. If your tradition, if what you believe you have to do is, and I'm pleased, I'm not telling you not to, but if in your heart you feel that you are forsaking the assembling of yourself together on Sunday, the December 25th, you do what God leads you to do. We have church service at a campus on Sunday. I am not telling you to avoid it. What I'm sharing with you is when I made that statement about what we were doing, it was for a reason. And it was not to put anybody in bondage. And once I felt as if I might be, I felt it necessary for me to explain myself. So that you are never unaware of where at least I am coming from. But however you elect to spend Christmas, keep it in remembrance of what the day is all about. We are not those who forsake the faith. That is not what I'm asking you to do. That is not what I'm putting you in position to do. And that's not what we should be doing. When we focus on Christmas, it's about a person. And what that person means. And what that person can do in this world if we elect to be a dispenser of the word, of the truth, of the same love that God has shown us. Just let the world know it for themselves. For let the world see it through you. We good? So if anybody tells you that, I'm not asking you to get in no scuffle. Because people are going to have opinions. I know people personally who have that opinion. I know people personally who have a lot of Bible study and can make their case. I don't care what case they make. I know what feels right to me when I read the Bible. And if I look at a seat 
and I think of someone who's usually there and they're not there, the first thing comes to my mind isn't that they're forsaken the faith. There are a thousand reasons that person might not be there. That person may not be there, but be the boldest prayer warrior anybody has ever. You don't know. Someone's presence does not mean that they're there. Just like someone's absence doesn't mean they're not. Someone could be there, and I'm just using this, it's not about funds, but I'm going to use this because it makes clearer sense. Someone could be there and never give financially to the church. You could have somebody that you see twice a year and give tens of thousands of dollars to the church. You can't judge actions by the presence of somebody. So just because we assemble together doesn't mean that God's work is getting done. When you assemble, let it be assembled around the purpose. Why? Because the builder is more important than the building any day. I love you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I pray that what you have put in my heart has been made clear. God, you know how much I love you and how much I love each family member that you have given me and Greta the opportunity to love on and direct and care for. I would never knowingly ask them to do something that put them in the position of forsaking the faith. No. Every prayer, every word, every hope is that they draw nearer to you, not farther away. And I pray that this Christmas will be a Christmas like none other. That they will focus on you, on your son, on the salvation that's been made available. They will reach into the hearts and the souls of their loved ones, parent to child, child to parent, brother to sister, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, and have conversations that surround the love of Jesus. And I look forward to hearing about the new traditions that new families and mature families are going to develop and create so that for generations to come, children will know what the season is all about. 
On Christmas, we give you thanks. It is our season for Thanksgiving. Thanks for all you've done. And for all the opportunity you've given us. Thank you for what you've brought us through. Thank you for for the wisdom that you've given us. Sometimes in the nth hour. Thank you for keeping our loved ones safe. Thank you for healing. Thank you for peace of mind. And thank you for healed hearts. For sure, this has not necessarily been a year where everyone has entered the end of the year smiling. But thank you for the joy of the Lord being our strength. Thank you for giving us a prospect of better in the future. We love you, Lord. And our position is never to forsake you, but always be in your will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. But we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.